News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm Alex Brooklyn. We are inviting one of our regular guests, Albert Foxconn of STOP, the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project, and another podcast that I was really honored to help get off the ground, which is Spy Pod Surveillance and the City, all about the dystopian tech that's going on to surveil us in New York. So today I'm asking Albert about Cuomo's new push and experimentation with vaccine passports. Albert, tell us about vaccine passports in New York. Alex, thanks so much for having me back. Um, So vaccine passports are the latest form of just Silicon Valley driven, uh, you know, dystopian uh, technology that's being, you know, put forward as the solution to the pandemic. So Basically, we know we have a very long way to go until we have herd immunity, till we have enough New Yorkers inoculated with the vaccine that we can get back to life as normal, hopefully sooner than people think. But it's going to take a while. And you have all of these businesses that are on the brink of going, you know, going under. We, we were losing more stores every day. You know, and of course, for you know professional sports leagues, concert venues, it's so hard to actually get back up and running until we really have wiped out the virus. Unless, they say, you use this magical vaccine passport, which is basically this uh, app that you'll install on your phone, which tracks whether or not someone's been vaccinated. The problem is we, we've, we've seen this playbook before. Silicon Valley says that they have the solution. It's not coming from public health officials. This isn't something that's evidence-based. This is vaporware. This is a sales pitch. And I'm worried a lot of New Yorkers are going to die because we treat these vaccine passports as if they're actual protection, as if we're actually can, you know, shortcut our way to herd immunity, but there's no evidence they work. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, one, what about variants? Two... We don't really know how the vaccines work. Do people still pass it on? Are people still contagious to people without the vaccine? Um, can they still be carriers? Are there differences in the way in like how long the immunity lasts between like Johnson and Johnson and uh, Pfizer and Moderna? We're acting like it's like once you get a shot, it's like the chicken pox. Now you can be around the other kids in the schoolyard. I mean, this is all junk science. I mean, so we saw this when the uh, pandemic first started and they said, oh, use these exposure notification apps and we'll be able to track the virus in real time and be able to end it. Those never worked. We wasted millions of dollars on them. We've uh, spent so much time trying to get people to download them. And they failed over and over again. Then we were told that artificial intelligence would help optimize who got the vaccine first. It failed yet again. And we've seen you know people saying, fuck the algorithm and protests at Stanford and other universities where you know the technology wasn't working. And now again, we're told that this app is going to save us. But you're completely right. The underlying premise has never been proven. Right now, Dr. Fauci and all the public health officials are saying, we have to see how effective the vaccine is against transmission rather than just getting infected with COVID-19. But if that doesn't actually work, then then having a vaccine passport doesn't tell you anything useful. And, you know, the way we've rolled out here in New York through Excelsior Pass, I mean, we have to call everything Excelsior, is you can either have a vaccine 
or a negative uh, COVID test, a PCR test within 72 hours uh, of when you're going to the the arena. But again, we, we've seen this strategy of trying to enforce negative tests at, to enter a space. That is how we got super spreader events in the White House, because you had people you know, going in, testing negative, acting like they were in a bubble where everything was safe, and a whole lot of people got sick. And so I, I just think this is more high-tech wishful thinking, brought to you by Andrew Cuomo, a man whose tech policy is generally summed up by, ooh, shiny, let's do it. <laughs> So, I mean, there's been like protests in Denmark against general vaccine passports and a couple other countries. Um, What is the larger implication for vaccine passports as far as like travel and like privacy? Yeah. So let's uh, differentiate two types of vaccine passports. So since the 1930s and, you know, it was formalized in 1944, you've had these yellow cards that were used to track immunization when you're traveling internationally. The World Health Organization is updating that standard so you can have an interoperable electronic standard for proving that when you're flying abroad. That makes a lot of sense. That sort of vaccine passport that literally goes with international travel seems like a smart update. But then you see the second class of vaccine passport, which is very different even though people use the same name, where the idea is it would become something you have to use to go to work, go to school. Some of the manufacturers have talked about making it indispensable to go to the grocery store. And at a moment when we know the vaccine rollout has systematically excluded communities of color, low-income communities, many of the communities that have been hit hardest by this pandemic, we're risking turning our you know inequality in the vaccine rollout into another form of segregation, that we're literally excluding communities of color. I wonder if it was the algorithm that just just decided New York's farm workers weren't eligible under the 1B rollout, even though they are under the CDC nationally. Again, this isn't, I mean, people talk about this being scientifically driven, but when you look under the hood, a lot of it's just really arbitrary choices being made up in Albany. And I think a lot of them are being made by the micromanager in chief. Uh, And so, you know, with this type of system, You know, the idea that you're going to roll it out here and there, that you're going to test it out. I mean, and testing it out at Madison Square Garden. Like, if you're going to test out a system, why do it in the largest venues we have in the city? If you want to actually get evidence, wouldn't you want to have a smaller trial run? Wouldn't you actually want to have... Uh, steps to make sure that the thing is working. Because when you look at Excelsior Pass, there's no actual data collection to validate whether or not it's keeping people safe. Before we move on to like this crazy stuff going on in the city, what's going to happen to like privacy and what's going to happen to people who don't have smartphones or aren't able to get yeah, we're creating this whole new level of digital surveillance infrastructure. And there, this is less uh, problematic from a privacy perspective than some of the earlier things we saw, like the exposure notification apps, but it's still creating a lot of data collection, and that can go very wrong. Like, we've seen plenty of cases internationally, like in Singapore, where they said, oh, don't worry about the data we're collecting to fight COVID-19. We'll never share it with police. Flash forward a few months, oh, we're sharing it with police, because, you know, if we have the data, why not? And right now... Now, you know, there's such limited protections against NYPD, ICE, other agencies swooping in and using this data. I mean, we found out last week about uh, the um, 
utility companies having their information sold to ICE by data brokers like Thomson Reuters. And as a result, that, you know, just signing up for an electrical bill could put you on ICE's radar. Well, this is potentially a lot more invasive than those utility records. So, of course, ICE is going to be trying to go after this information. And, and, you know, I just really think that if it was a trade-off between getting back to something normal and having this type of tracking, I would have a hard time answering the question, right? I'm so desperate to get back to the New York I love, but we're getting junk science in exchange for a whole lot of information. And what I think is most worrying is it's so easy that this could perpetuate distrust of the vaccine in some communities, right? I, I've heard people from Cuomo's staff talk about, oh, this is going to give people an incentive to get back to life as normal. But if you're talking about outreach to vaccine-hesitant communities, like if you're talking about going to, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, Williamsburg and talking about, you know, outreach to ultra-Orthodox community, I'm not sure that, you know, focusing on a Brooklyn Nets game is the way to really do that. <laughs> I think you're going to transform this into yet another proxy, yet another political, like, alignment issue. And it's going to be like what we saw during the census, that simply transforming it into an electronic uh, interface can can really scare a lot of people from uh, participating. I don't know why Cuomo keeps doing this, right? You know, think back to the start of the uh, pandemic, and he talked about having his technology SWAT teams that would be helping to fix everything, and he was going to have, and he has all of these things that make for great, uh, you know, sound bites for the evening news. But then when you go back after the fact, there isn't a there there. Right. You know, look at just how many people have been struggling to sign up for vaccine appointments using the state website. And if you want to know, like any time you hear New York government coming in with some new tech platform that they promise is going to fix everything, just think of all the hours you or your parents or your grandparents spent trying to get a damn vaccine appointment. Right. That is something that what is comparatively much easier than what we're trying to roll out now. And there's no evidence that the state is actually able to get something like this right. So yesterday on March 4th at the Mayor's Daily Press Conference, uh, Commissioner Shea, in one of his rare appearances at the Mayor's Press Conference, came to announce uh, a new commissioner for city technology named Matt Frazier. Also that they were going to add 200 more surveillance cameras around the streets to combat hate crime. Right on the heels of that, they announced that they're going to be expanding their use of the software ShotSpotter. I had heard of it before, but it's a little bit new to me. Um, so can you talk a little bit about uh, how the NYPD is using it and what it means that they're expanding so rapidly? So ShotSpotter is your friendly neighborhood warrantless eavesdropping device that is an array of directional microphones that we place in poor, predominantly Black and Latinx neighborhoods to listen to everything that is unfolding. Literally, it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, listening to the sounds unfolding on the street. And the sales pitch... and. Like most of these tools, the sales pitch sounds great until you look at the fact is this will automatically detect gunshots and let police know faster than 911 when gunshots have been fired. First of all, 
this has nothing to do with hate crimes, which have been horrifying. And, you know, the recent surge in anti-Asian hate crimes in particular has been just infuriating to see. But those have been assaults and batteries and have not been shootings, as far as I'm aware. And, you know, here's the problem. The microphones aren't actually that smart, right? We've seen a lot of reporting, you know, even the Post covered this a few years ago, that they couldn't tell the difference between fireworks and a gunshot. And this is something where, guess what? There were a lot of fireworks last year and a lot of false reports of gunshots. Last year, that that time 10 years ago, (laughs) when there was fireworks every single night, all night long. And we're trying to figure out still to what extent that led to the reported spike in uh, gun violence in the city. Because we know there was a real increase, but we also don't know how much of it was these false positives from ShotSpire. So the way ShotSpire works is... It's listening constantly for a gunshot. It's like an Alexa or a Siri, only, you know, its activation word is a bang. And then when there is a gunshot, it gets flagged for a human to review in a call center somewhere in, you know, Arizona or New Mexico or wherever. The problem is that it's really hard to tell without any context, sometimes from hundreds of feet away, when a sound is echoing off a wall, whether something really was a gunshot. You know, they they claim to have this ability to do it, but the acoustics just don't really work in in a lot of cases. And and even worse than that, the company that runs ShotSpire has been accused of fabricating evidence to help police wrongly charge a guy with firing on officers when he was actually shot by uh, by officers uh, instead. So there's this Rochester case where, you know, uh, it, it's a really sickening uh, lawsuit. If you look at the write-up in Reuters, basically sh- uh, um, officers fired three times at this unarmed man. And they went to ShotSpire and said, aren't you, are, are you sure there wasn't a fourth gunshot, you know, before that? Where, you know, it was him shooting at us. Just And they worked with ShotSpotter to manufacture the evidence, according to this lawsuit. And, and, you know, the guy was charged with attempted murder of a police officer when he was the one wrongfully shot by those officers. And he was acquitted of the criminal charges, thankfully, but that, that civil case is still unfolding. And this is the company that we want to have monitoring miles and miles of New York City. And even worse, a company that... Their microphones are powerful enough that if you have your window open, they can hear what you're saying in your own apartment. And, and they we're just trusting them not to, to use that data. So I guess one of the questions uh, Harry Siegel and I were talking about before we got on this interview was the curiosity, as you said, of the 75% spike in shootings that are reported. How many of those are false positives? How many of those do you think are either real gunshots that just weren't, you know, reported before or possibly false positive gunshots that aren't really gunshots. Yeah, that's the thing. We know there was an increase in the number of people who actually were shot by uh, um, and, and were received medical help. But we don't know how much of the overall number is this sort of bad data from police. And, and one thing you have to keep in mind the NYPD has such an iron uh, grip 
on all of the crime stats, shot spotter or not. And so much of what we see in the public narrative about the crime rate is controlled by what they want it to be. This is something we talk about in Surveillance in the City when we talk about comp stat, the city's you know, statistics uh, on the overall number of crimes and shootings and everything. You know, shot spotter is a part of that, but it, it, I don't see it as that different from when officers are juking the stats, either increasing the number or decreasing the number based off of what witnesses are telling them. The, the biggest issue is that sh- because shot spotter is automated, because it's so large, with you can relatively cheaply, you know, ha- deploy this apparatus over a huge area and get a whole lot of garbage data that then you can spin one way or the other. Wow. Well, back to trust no one. (laughs) (laughs) I think the issue with all of these things is it's so hard to argue against it because if the sales pitch were real, who wouldn't want something that made it easier to actually identify gunshots and respond to it? You know, if if the sales pitch were real on vaccine passports, who wouldn't want to get back to life as usual? But, you know, so often it's simply a really crappy product with a whole lot of trade-offs and nothing really there to justify it. This also gets to the broader issue that when you look at all the crime data for New York City, look, there's a lot of national trends unfolding because we're in the middle of a damn pandemic. We're in a this point where people are facing unique stresses, where they're losing loved ones, where work is hard to find, where there's this huge economic downturn for millions, even if you know a lot of folks at the top feel fine. I don't understand why we keep treating this as if it's a issue that can be solved by the NYPD. This is you know, this is something that is much larger than just one city. And yet we see cities all around the country just treating it like, well, if we change our policing policy, somehow we'll fix everything that's unfolding because of the pandemic. No, we need to actually have, you know, the social safety net there for the millions who are in desperate, desperate need right now and who are completely being left on their own. I mean, We'll be lucky if folks get fourteen hundred bucks, let alone the sort of like consistent ongoing support they, they need. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. When I heard that yesterday at the press conference, and when I've been reading about these vaccines, I was like, I need some clarity around this stuff by someone who lives, eats, and and breathes this um, this technology. So, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me back. News, 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 news. news. New York City. F-A-Q. F-A-Q.